love that passage of Scripture that Dieter read for us. Not only the Psalms, but that passage from Colossians. And the last word she read was, Christ is all and is in all. Oh, wow. I read that for years and it just went right by me. You know, it's just kind of Christ is all and is in all. What? Christ is all and is in all? It reminds me of what Paul would also say when he talked about the God in whom we live and move and have our being. You probably remember that. That was in Acts. And then in Philippians, he said, There is one body and one spirit. Just as there was one hope to which you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who, are you ready for this? Paul's words. Who is over all and through all and in all. You are dismissed because I can't even enlarge on that. (laughs) Over all, through all, in all. Christ is all, we read today, and is in all. I've come to the conclusion that in my life, one of my big projects is to open my eyes, (laughs) open my ears, and to recognize where God is. I mean, we always say, well, God is everywhere. But do we see Him? Do we see Him in the poor? Do we see Him in those who are struggling? Do we see them in our kids? Boy, if you can't see Him in our kids, where can you see Him? Those kids that run around the church, I used to always tell my church, those kids who are running through, you bless them. Sometimes you've got to bless them fast. Bless you, you know, because they're fast. But, but you bless them. But, but to see God in all these places. A couple of weeks ago we talked about the, um, the encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, unless you think differently, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. And he couldn't. And the kingdom of heaven was standing right in front of him. Jesus was saying, right here. This, this, is, this, is, this is God who is over all and through all and in all. This is Christ who is all and is in all. He's right here. And so our project in life is to see Him. When I was a kid, I grew up in church. Man, I, I was in church my entire life. Church of the Nazarene my entire life. My parents told me I was less than a week old when I went. And I'm still a Nazarene. And I remember hearing preachers in revival services and things like that. I remember them praying that God would meet with us. And, of course, kids are pretty literal, right? So I thought we had to, you know, He'd show up if we asked Him enough. Meet with us, please. I now know that's not what they were saying. They weren't saying we've got to talk God into being here. What they were saying is open up our consciousness that you are with us, that God is in this place, that God is over all and through all and in all, that Christ is all and is in all, to see it. And there's no place that we need to see Him more clearly than in the church of Jesus Christ. Man, I've been around the church for a number of years I've been here a long time. And because I've been in the church so long, I've seen some really ugly stuff in the church. I'm not surprising any of you if you're brand new to the church, if you've never been a churchgoer and you're just a couple months into it, uh, let me say you have made a good decision, but uh, you'll see some ugly stuff too because the church is this combination of the human and the divine. A whole lot of divine, a whole lot of human, Right? And so, yeah. But I've seen some ugly stuff with you. But you know what? I've seen so much beauty, too, haven't you? I've seen the hungry fed. I've seen the sick visited. 
I've seen the lonely embraced. I've seen people that wouldn't be accepted anywhere in this culture except in the church. I've seen people sacrifice a fly to Croatia and church support that. I've seen church encourage young people's call to ministry. I've seen kids. Man, do we love kids or what? We're always doing Bible schools and Sunday schools and daycares and stuff. Why? Because we see him in the very least of these. And the most vulnerable people in our population are the kids. I always say any social ill in our world. Any social ill. Whether it's pornography, whether it's, whether it's poverty, whether it's war and refugees, whether it's the violence we've seen over the last couple of days. It, it, the, the most vulnerable among us are the kids. Jesus said, you watch out for the kids, right? You watch out for the kids. He said, you don't watch out for the kids, just put a millstone around your neck and jump in the water. I think that's where the Godfather got cement galoshes. I don't know for sure, but, but he's saying, take care of the kids. So, so that's who we are. That's what church is. That's the beauty of the church is we falter and we never do it perfectly, but that's who we are. We're trying to be the body of Christ. Now, before I talk about the body of Christ, I want to talk about another image of the church. There are multiple images of the church. My two favorites. One is a very emotive image that uh, you've heard about. Maybe you've heard me talk about when I've been here. And one is a very cognitive, practical image. The emotive image is the bride of Christ. The scripture in uh, Ephesians and then in Revelation talks about the church as the bride of Christ. Now, again, that kind of goes by us, but I want you to think about that for just a moment. Okay, let me walk you through this again, because we need to be reminded of this. I've done a lot of weddings in my life. And I've stood at the front of a church like this with a center aisle, and, and I've stood here with the groom here, and, and you know, the bridesmaids come in and everything, and then the, then the bride comes in, and everybody stands up, and so the people in the front can't even see the bride anymore, you know, and, and, um, and everybody looks at her as she comes down, and, and, and they just, oh, look at the dress, look at her, oh, isn't she glowing, all that kind of stuff. I always tell people, don't do that, don't look at her. You can see the dress at the reception. Look at him. This is where the action is, right? This is where the action is. I've seen these guys. I've seen these guys who are so strong and so that they're not going to show any emotion, you know. And I've prayed to them in the back room while they're just shaking. And then and they come out and, 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 and I see the lip quiver and, and I see some of them fight back the tears. And, and um, you know, I'm just in there looking at this guy. And, oh, yeah. Somebody, I said this to my church so many times that now when I do weddings, you know, Nobody's looking at her. I, I, I feel bad, you know, but, but, but think about this, okay? Here's what I always think. Here's a man who is saying at this point in time, there is nothing more beautiful than that. There is nothing I desire more than that. I'd lay down my life right now and die for her. There is nothing more captivating, more beautiful more perfect. Now he knows she's not perfect. But at that moment she is. That's how Christ sees his church. He looks at us in all our imperfections and says there's nothing more beautiful in the world. I created the mountains. I created the cosmos. Everything in it. But the bride. There's nothing I desire more. Oh, friends, that ought to humble us, shouldn't it? 
it ought to just fill us with gratitude. Say, oh God, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much as we stumble and bumble and bump our heads and do it wrong and do it right and do it halfway in between as we're faithful and sometimes not so faithful in all of our stuff and our junk. You still think we're the most beautiful thing you've ever created. Now hold that with you wherever you hold that, in your heart or your stomach or wherever you hold that, okay? And let's look at then this more cognitive concept of the church as the body of Christ. Now, as I've said before, the bride is a metaphor, okay? That's a metaphor so that we can understand the heart of God. That's what metaphors are for, that we can feel something. Uh, in that day, they didn't actually walk down aisles, I doubt. I don't know. But, but it's a metaphor so that we can sense the heart of God. But the body of Christ, the first century believers... That wasn't a metaphor to them. That was literal. Okay? Because Jesus, who the Christ who pre-existed, Christ wasn't born in Bethlehem. Christ, you know, as John says, was in the beginning with God and was God. He just showed up in our neighborhood at Bethlehem. Came to us. And he put on flesh and blood. He put on hands and feet and hair and teeth and skin and bones. And, and we had a physical body of the preexistent Christ. And then he said, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come right now. But I will send my spirit into you. And so those first century believers said, oh, I get it. Just as the spirit lived in his body, now the spirit lives in our bodies. See, they, they thought that was very literal, that... These now are the hands of Christ. I think we still need to take it that literally. That we collectively are the body of Christ. We are the hands of Christ. We are the voice of Christ. Some people have mystical experiences before they come to faith in Christ. They, they see God. Most people don't. Most people have to be shown God. Most people in our culture... They can't understand love because love by its very nature is unconditional and all they've seen is conditional love. So they can't see God. So how do they see God? Well, they see God when someone who is the hands and feet of Christ loves them unconditionally. That's how they see God. That's how they begin to understand love. They, they, they can't just bring it into their mind but when they are embraced by love, they know love. Right? Think of a time when you were loved. It may have been a parent, may have been a friend, may have been a spouse. It may have been you were loved because someone looked you in the eyes and listened to you and wept with you. It may have been you were loved because someone rejoiced with you. It may have been you were loved because someone just, when your whole world was falling apart, wrapped their arms around you and held you. To think of a time when you were loved. You didn't have to understand it here. You knew you were loved. You, you, you knew you were loved. Sometimes in the church we think we've got to explain Christ to people. There's a part of that. Part of our calling. But the basic calling is we've got to be Christ to people. Not to explain Him. Because when you are Christ, guess what? You've already explained Him. When you love with abandon, when you love not counting the cost, when you love no matter what it costs you, 
people get it. And you don't have to have chapter and verse on that one, do you? You just need to love and love and love and love. Now, we are the body of Christ, and, and so we cherish one another, okay? If you're part of the body of Christ and I'm part of the body of Christ, that tells me volumes about how I should treat you, correct? <laughs> it says I would treat you like I treat Christ. Now, you're not as smart as he is. Um, I may have to, we have to correct each other once in a while, but, but to respect you, I, I should respect you as much as I respect Christ. I should yield dignity to you as much as I would yield dignity to Christ. Because you are the body of Christ. And Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So, so there's that aspect that, that you and I need to love our body. I remember many, many years ago, I was writing for a, a regional magazine, a Christian magazine. And um, I interviewed a, a man. He was a local anchorman. And so you know how, you know how Christian magazines are. Interview someone famous, you know. And like they're, I don't know, that's kind of weird. But anyway, I did. And um, he was, this was way back in the era, I don't know if some of you remember this, if you're my age you do, when there was a, a charismatic renewal within the Catholic Church. I grew up in northern Indiana, near a small Christian school called Notre Dame, and uh, it's not small. Uh, um, and, and that was one of the centers of this. And, and he, was, he was one of these people who had found deep faith. And he said to me, he said, now my Catholic friends are saying, get away from those charismatics, get away from them. And my charismatic friends are saying, leave Catholicism, leave it. And he said, you know, God hasn't called me to do either one. And then he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, just think someday seeing Christ. And when you see Christ, he says, I don't want to hear him say to me, why were you clawing at my body? Why were you scratching and fighting with my body? And that just made such an impact on me because he said, I'm not called to scratch and fight and fuss with the body. I'm called to be the body. I don't know about his theology. It doesn't matter. It matters that it is if Christ dwells in us. And so in the church, we have this thing about how we treat each other. That's what Paul would say in Ephesians. He said, no one hates his own body. Now, I know there's, there's unhealthy ways that people do, but th- th- his point was we, we care for this, okay? And uh, I'm 63 now and realizing I haven't taken as good care of my body as I should, so I'm pl- trying to play catch-up. I don't know if you can actually do that. And I'm exercising more, and I'm some days eating better. <sighs> Not every day. Because my body is precious to me, as it should be. But if my whole life was just taking care of my body, then something would be really out of kilter, wouldn't it? You'd say, Stout's not healthy, man. He's just always preoccupied with his own body. We know some people like that. Um, You know, every gram that goes into their body and every move they make, they've got to log it and everything. And I know some people have illnesses. If you're a diabetic, you better be logging all that. I understand that. I'm not making fun of that. But but, but we know that if someone was totally preoccupied with their body, that wouldn't be healthy, would it? The, The body is used for other things. If I only loved my body and I didn't love my kids, I'd be a failure. If I only embraced my own being and didn't embrace the people around me, something would be really wrong here. And that's part of this literalness of the body of Christ. We care for each other. We watch out for each other. But you know what? 
Hands extend beyond the body, don't they? And feet take us out of the house. And so we are called to be, however you want to say it, the face of Christ to our world, the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ. And of course, these are, these are old cliches that go clear back, but the reason they're cliches, words become cliches because they're true. It was one of the great old saints. I forget if it was Teresa of Avila or, or, or who it was that said, Christ has no hands but ours. Well, that's a cliche. Well, it's a cliche because it's absolutely true. The nail-pierced hands are not going to come down out of the sky and pick up a loaf of bread and hand it to someone. He's going to take my hands and do that, right? The physical body embodiment of Christ is not going to come down this week and visit the hospital. But the body of Christ can. Absolutely. The spirit-filled body can do that. The physical body of Jesus of Nazareth who walked by the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago is not going to go hug the lonely kid down the street. But his body can. And that child will know somewhere in the recesses of his or her being, that child will know they're being embraced by God. I remember... Years ago, there was a commercial on TV. I don't even know what they were advertising, which means it was a good commercial, right? <laughs> All the good commercials. You got remember that commercial? I don't remember what they were advertising, but it was a great commercial. I don't know what this was. I don't know if it was a church or what. Some of you may remember this. But it's this, it was this commercial where these two executives are running through the airport, and they're trying to get to their plane. And, and they run by this little guy who's at the airport, and they hit him, and his stuff just spills all over the floor. And, and they're running, and the one... Guy keeps looking back and keeps looking back, and he's like, "Come on, come on, come on!" And 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 finally, he goes back to help the child. And as he's helping the child, the other guy is looking at his watch, and he swears. He says, "My God, what are you doing?" And the kid looked up and said, "Oh, are you God?" Actually, at that moment, he was right. He was the hands of Christ. I'm excited about your church. Just. Because of the stuff I hear, just your announcements are so awesome, you know? The mission trip and, and expanding your staff to expand your reach and, and, and uh, sending a young man to continue his studies for ministries. And then all the stuff that's not seen. All the prayers you pray that nobody sees. All the times you call up each other and say, I heard you're sick this week. Can I help you? All the stuff you're doing. It's so, so exciting And we get to be the servants, the body of Christ. You know, we don't have to be strong to do this, right? (laughs) We don't have to be healthy to do this. We don't have to have it figured out to do this. In fact, the whole New Testament is the testament of a God who became weak and out of his weakness ministered to us. You may recall when he forgave us, he was half dead bleeding on the cross. You may remember that when he told his disciples how to change the world, he washed their feet. He said, get down on your hands and knees. That's how we do it. Church doesn't have to be perfect. If you're waiting for that day, you've got a long wait. Church doesn't have to have it all figured out. Church doesn't have to have this level of income to be effective. It, 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 it needs resources. We know that. We work toward all that. But, but we don't wait. We are simply the hands and feet of Christ today.
And there is no better way to live. When we do that, we start looking at each other and saying, man, the bride's just beautiful, isn't it? No, the bride's got a lot of stuff wrong, and the bride makes a lot of mistakes, and the bride's far from perfect, but sometimes when the church is the church, it's just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life, right? That's what God calls us to. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have blessed us beyond what we can imagine. We want to thank you for the incarnation, the enfleshment of God in Christ in a manger of all places. This weak, helpless child who couldn't even eat unless his mother picked him up and held him to her breast. Who, if he'd have been left alone, would have just died. You were that vulnerable when you came to us. And then when the king threatened you, your parents had to become refugees in Egypt. (laughs) You're kind of amazed, Lord, that the maker of the cosmos was running away from puny little Herod. And yet you chose weakness as your strength. And you still do, Lord, because you chose us. You chose us. We, uh, we're weak. We're sinful. We're, we're, we're so far from perfection, and yet you chose us. And you think we're beautiful. We're humbled by that. Help us to see you in one another. Help us to see you in the church. Help us to see you when we labor, when we wash feet, when we visit the hospital, when we, when we lay aside food for people who need it, when we watch the kids, when we care for the kids. Lord, help us to see you in the tragedies that you are present with us. Help us in this violent, sick world be the balm, to be the presence of Christ. And Lord, bless this church. Thank you for assembling these people for a purpose. They're not here by happenstance. They haven't been brought together just out of coincidence, Lord, but you've called them. You've commissioned them. Bless them not just with effectiveness in ministry, but bless them with great joy in ministry. Bless them with great affection for one another. And bless them with great love and, yes, even affection for our world. Thank you for all that you give us. We are humbled that you chose to use us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. Let me give you the wonderful blessing from the Book of Common Prayer. May the peace of God go with you wherever He may send you. May He guide you through the wilderness, protect you from the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing at the wonders He has shown you. May He bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go with God. Go in peace.